Welcome to the New Harvest Podcast. You are listening to part one of the First John Sermon Series. Today's sermon is called State of Confusion, and the scripture reading comes from the book of First John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So the uh, Ligonier Ministries, uh, they just published the results of their 2020 State of Theology survey. I don't know if you've seen this, some of you might have. Uh, So it's a survey that's done every two years to find out what do Americans think about Jesus Christ, the Bible, truth, and ethics, and just those kind of things. So they asked, uh, surveyed 3,000 Americans, and they were asked, what do you think about these 35 statements or questions? So, you know, you can go, you can say anything from, I strongly disagree or strongly agree, right? So... From the results of this survey, apparently, 30% of evangelicals agree that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. So 30% believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 46% of evangelicals agree that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Right, so, so much for total depravity. Uh, 65% of evangelicals believe that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Right? Not begotten, but created by God. And at the same time, 96% believe that there is one true God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So somebody's wrong in there, right? Because you can't just say both that there's... One true God and three in one person, and Jesus is the first greatest being created by God. And most uh, importantly, uh, 69% of people or evangelical Christians say that churches must provide entertaining worship services if they want to be effective. (laughs) So, uh, I see. Anyways, so, but if you actually read the uh, entire survey and look at the results, there are a lot of uh, very interesting things that you'll find in there, and you can look it up online if you want to. So, uh, in conclusion, what is the state of theology in America? Right? The conclusion is that it is in a state of confusion. Right? There is much confusion about who Jesus is, what the gospel is, and many other like very essential Christian beliefs and doctrines. So, uh, in light of this confusion. I thought it was a good time for us to study 1 John because the, the letter of John, the, 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 first, the, the letter of 1 John is a response to growing confusion within the early churches. So uh, as the apostles begin to pass away and as Christianity begins to spread into different cultures and different regions and areas, there were new people with new ideas and new teachings about who Jesus was, right? But ultimately, these new teachings were false teachings, and what we call heresy. 
And so what you need to understand, I think, about the, the, the nature of heresy is this. I mean, we talk about that a lot of what this is a heresy or these people are heretics. Heresy is not a total contradiction or a complete denial of the truth, right? Like no one would look at atheism and say, that's a heresy. Because it's just too blatant, it's too, you know, straight up. Heresy actually means to pick and choose. Right? That's what that word means in Greek. To pick and choose or select. So heresy is when you pick and choose certain parts of the Bible, certain parts of the gospel, certain parts of the truth, and then you mix it with something else. You mix it with a human philosophy or modern psychology or popular culture. You mix the truth with something else. So for example, God loves you, therefore God will make you rich. 39% of evangelicals in the same survey said that God will always reward true faith with material blessings in this life. Right Now, that can be true, but that kind of totally ignore, ignores the life of Jesus, like the, the, the very fact that Jesus was poor, and all the things that Jesus said, and all the things that the apostles said, Right? Against wealth and not loving material things and not, not, not loving the world. Right? But, th that, but this is what it is. It's a mixture of the truth. God loves you and American culture. God wants you to be rich. Um, it's an Americanized Christianity instead of Christianized Americans. Uh, current Americans, us, we, you know, we generally strongly believe the idea of Christian karma. Right? If you worship and you're faithful and you do good things, and God will reward you and bless you accordingly, uh, to, you know, according to what you have done. Right? Everyone at the end will get what they deserve. That's kind of how a lot of Christians, Korean Christians, think about things. I go to church, I tithe, I do this so that God will bless me, God will help me with this and that. And you get what you deserve. If you go to church a lot, God will bless you. If you don't go to church a lot, you miss Bible studies and things like that, then you know some bad things might happen to you. God's going to shake you up. But that kind of goes against the idea of Christian grace, that nobody in God gets what they deserve, that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. Right. So what that is is basically a mixture of Christianity and Korean culture. And so most scholars believe that when John was writing 1 John, he was writing and reacting against this growing Gnostic influence within the church. Right? So what the Gnostics believed, you know, is that they, they didn't openly, blatantly deny that Jesus Christ was God. Right? But they, they denied that Jesus Christ was truly human. Because the, the Gnostics believed that the physical world, the material world, was evil and impure. And the spiritual world, or the heavenly world, was good. So there was no way that Jesus was both man and God. There was no way that he could have flesh. Because flesh is you know, impure and evil and wicked. Right? Um, and so, so there was no way that he truly came in the flesh that he was really human. But if he really was just a human being, then there's no way that he could be a God. Right? So the idea of the Trinity and dual natures of Christ and God being fully man and fully God, 
they couldn't accept that. They couldn't kind of wrap their head around it. Right? And then on the other side, you also had like radical Jewish Christians who are saying things like, you have to uphold the traditions of the law, the traditions of the Old Testament. You have to be circumcised in order to truly be saved and, and things of that nature. So there's all these kind of different cultures coming together Right, trying to kind of figure out how to worship God, how to worship Jesus, and what they think about Him. And so what happens, and I think America is a perfect example of, you know, it's, a, it's the melting pot of the world and stuff like that. So there's all these different cultures kind of coming in together. There's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is, and how do you know if you're really saved, and, and all those kind of things. And John writes the letter to talk about, to address this situation. So I'm going to read, we're going to read some quotes um, within First John. We're going to look at some verses to show, kind of explain like what John was really trying to say with, within the letter, right? So he says in verse, chapter 2, verse 26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. So he basically thinks this is the reason why I'm writing this letter. And then 18 and 29 of chapter 2, Dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. And even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Or if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But they're going so that none of them belong to us. So apparently there's some people trying to lead them astray. There are many Antichrists, and they've already come. So what is an antichrist? What is what what does John mean when he says there are many antichrists? Is he referring to like pagans, you know, people that don't believe in God or devil worshipers or, or or you know people who worship Satan and things like that? No. So this is what he means, right, by antichrist because he's saying these antichrists they came out from us like they they were part of our church, but they they, they stopped coming. And he says in verse John uh, twenty two two twenty two this is his kind of definition of what an antichrist is. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is a Christ. Such a man is, a, is the antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. And at verse four, uh, chapter four, two and three, this is a, this is just another kind of explanation of what he thinks is an antichrist. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, right? Because the Gnostics didn't believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus Christ is, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Right? So he's saying that this is a very, you know, Simple definition, right? And, and, and antichrist is anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ. That anyone who denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And what that really means is anyone who denies the full humanity and or the full divinity of Christ. Right? And so when you kind of dig in further, is anyone who denies that we are saved by Christ and Christ alone who... who Anyone who denies that we're saved by grace and grace alone. Right? Anyone who denies the Lordship of Christ. So, so that's the word. Anti is against, right? So anti-Christ. Anyone who is against Christ, right? 
That's an antichrist. So by this definition, when you stop and think about it, how many Christians today are antichrist? Right? How many Christians still believe they, they, that they are ultimately saved by their own effort, that I have to be a good person, that I have to do something in order to be saved, that they need something else besides Christ to be saved? How many Christians act like Jesus has no power, right? To conquer sin in this life, meaning they're denying the Lordship and the power, the divinity of Christ, right? That God is unable to set us free from the grip of sin and give people new hearts, new desires to follow and love him, right? And so holy, the, the Holy Spirit that has no power to kind of change you and help you and lead you and guide you is just a tracking monitor until you get to heaven. And so this is why John is writing this letter. And he says in 5.13 of 1 John, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Right? So that you may know that you have eternal life. And I realize, and you may you know, know this for yourself too, but a lot of times there's a lot of Christians who don't know that they have eternal life. So I'm going to read kind of this story, I think, um, this short little story that highlights what that means. So uh, I'm just going to read it to you. Just try to listen along. Last night, Jimmy accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. This morning, he's bubbling with a joy that he has never experienced before. On his way to work, he meets his friend, Bill. Bill has always claimed to be a Christian. He also reads a lot of books on theology. But Jimmy has never been too interested in theology up until now. Say Bill, Jimmy begins. Guess what? I just got saved last night. I trusted Christ as my savior. Now I'm going to heaven. Hmm, Bill replies. Maybe you shouldn't quite say it that way. After all, you don't really know if you're going to heaven. What do you mean, Jimmy inquires? The Bible says, believe in the... Believe on the Lord Christ Jesus and you will be saved. And that's what I did. Bill gives Jimmy a wise and knowing look. It is the kind of look that all perceptive theologians know how to give the ignorant and the unlearned. <laughs> but did you really believe? Maybe you just believe psychologically. What do you mean? Jimmy is feeling a little depressed now. I mean, Bill continues, you can't know whether you have real saving faith. Then how can I know that? By your works. You have to wait and see if you live a real Christian life. Jimmy is dejected. You mean that if I sin, I'm not a Christian after all? No, I mean, that's not what I mean. All Christians fail once in a while. But how much do they fall? I mean, how bad does it have to get before I find out that I'm not saved? Well, it can't get too bad for too long. But how bad, like for how long Jimmy feels desperate? I can't tell you exactly, but a true Christian doesn't practice sin. If you find that you're practicing sin, that that will show that you didn't have real saving faith to begin with. But what if I do pretty good for several years and things begin to go bad? In that case, maybe you have, maybe you weren't saved to, be, to start with. Maybe, what do you mean by that? I mean, Bill's tone is solemn. You'll probably have to wait until the end of your life 
before you can be sure that you are a true Christian. You have to persevere in good works or your faith wasn't real. Do you think I can be sure before I die? Maybe. Listen, Jim, I gotta go to work. We'll talk about this some other time, okay? Yeah, okay, <laughs> see you, Bill, right? Um, so Bill rushes off and Jim is devastated. All the joy he had experienced since last night has suddenly evaporated. Now he's filled with questions and doubt. Like, you know, isn't this, is this story like relatable to you? Like, have you ever felt this story and, and lived this story where you had all this joy, maybe some in the beginning of your Christian life and in the beginning of your Christian experience. And then all of a sudden you're always wondering, am I saved? Am I really Christian? Or is God even real? And you begin to think all these things. And, and, and to me that I think as I was reading that, that survey and thinking about things, there are so many Christians like Jimmy. Right? They're not sure if they're saved. They keep asking Jesus into their hearts, but they never actually start their spiritual walk. They never actually begin living their spiritual life. So imagine if people said this about marriage. Hey, congratulations on your wedding. Now let's see if you guys really love each other. Right? You won't know for sure that you really love each other until the end of your life. Like, think about how can you, you know, keep a marriage going like that if you're not sure the other person loves you, right? Until the, until the end of your life, until everything's done. Like, oh, now I'm so happy that you love me, right? How could you keep going, right? And I think this is how so many Christians live. They're married to Christ. They, you know, they have had their wedding night. They have. You know, had their night where they were saved, but they always live in this continuous agony of, I don't know if I really love God, and I don't know if God really loves me, and not if I'm really saved, and if this actually happened, maybe I was just really just the, the the music just hit me really hard that night, and I was just crying. I don't know why I was crying, and and you know, when I you know talk to you group kid, that was a lot of their experiences. They're like, I thought I you know received God or you know. Accepted Jesus in sixth grade, ninth grade, but now I don't, I'm not sure. Now, now that I'm in high school, I'm not sure. Now that I'm in college, I'm not sure. Right? And I feel like this is how a lot of people live. And there are so many bills in our churches, right? Because when you when you think about a bill, is a well-meaning modern-day antichrist, right? So he's not trying to hurt Jimmy. He's trying. He's not really trying to mess him up. He just wants him to be realistic, right? Not get too caught up in emotions and things like that. But what he's doing is he's subtly, he's subtly implying that Christ is not enough. Right? That you got to live this life. Not that God's not calling you to live a righteous life, but he's, he's subtly saying you need something else besides Jesus. Right? And then what I see is there's so many Christians who don't know that they actually have eternal life. And there are so many Christians now who are so sure that they're going to heaven. Right? And why is that? Because I think a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Right? A little knowledge leads to a whole lot of confusion. I think that's one of the major key problems with our churches is people who are Christians, people who are saved, have so little knowledge of theology, they have so little knowledge of God, they have so little knowledge of what the Bible says that they're confused about a lot of things. Right? 
So we're confused about who is really saved or what it means to be a real Christian and we don't have any assurance of salvation. But, but, this, but this is what John is saying I'm writing this to you guys and, and he calls them little children I'm writing these things to you little children So that you may know You may be sure That you have eternal life And I think you know, he, he was saying even 2,000 years ago That people were having this problem Of being confused about a lot of things um, you know, About their faith And about what they really believe so the Gnostics, they believe that you are saved by knowledge, you know, by knowing things. You must, so this is what they believe, that you must receive this new, secret, hidden knowledge about God in order to be saved. Okay? Uh, so believers were basically taught to abandon Christ in order to search for this new, hidden, mysterious knowledge that you receive secretly right so but john begins his letter by reminding them the true nature of his gospel of his knowledge so look we're going to now look at john 1 the, the 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 passage that we read but he says that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our own eyes which we have looked at and touched with our own hands uh this we proclaim concerning the word of life which is you know, jesus Keep going. The life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it. We proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So John reminds them who he is. Right? Like, you know, Think about who I am. I'm one of the 12 disciples. Right? I was there with Jesus from the beginning. I saw with my own eyes. I saw and heard with my own ears. I walked with him. I ate with him. I laid my head on his chest. Right? I saw him walk on water. I saw him calm the storm. I saw all the healings and miracles that he did. Right? I saw him crucified with blood flowing down from his head and side. I saw the empty tomb. I saw the risen Lord. I was there when Timothy placed his fingers into his nail-scarred hand. So he's saying, look, I know who Jesus is. He's fully human and fully God. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing secret or mysterious about Jesus. Jesus taught openly in the synagogues. He was tried and crucified publicly for everyone to see. So he's saying that the, the life appeared and I saw it with my own eyes. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not like the Gnostics. We have to like look for this vague, general, ambiguous knowledge. We have to try to find something that's out there. I saw him. I know him. I know what I'm really talking about. And not only do I just know like the facts about him, I have fellowship with the Father and the Son, even right now. Right? He's saying, look, my knowledge is greater than the Gnostics. Right? They don't even know what they're talking about. It's a secret, like, you know, hidden, you know, mysterious thing. But it's like, I know what I'm talking about. And so this, this is the idea that Jesus came to be known. 
And that was the whole purpose of Jesus Christ coming down as a man, that we may know God. The Bible says things like, He is the word of life. So think about what that means when we say He is the word of life. Thoughts are invisible and inaudible until they're clothed with words. Right? That's what we say. Like, you know, we say to people, say something. Like, tell me what you want. I'm not a mind reader. Right? That's what, that's what guys always say to girls. Just tell me what you want. What do you want me to do? Right? Say it. Say it with words. Right? And so Jesus came as the word of life to reveal the hidden thoughts of God. The hidden mysteries of God. Right? He's the bread of life, the water of life. And when you think about those things, everything requires interaction. Right? You have to eat the bread. The word must be heard. You have to drink the water. Right? And so the whole point of Jesus Christ coming down to become a man is so that we can see him, hear him, and know him. And so that we're not left in the dark. So that we're not like unsure. The whole point was... I've come down, I've shown myself, you know, I've lived life with you amongst you so that you can know who I really am. Right? So that we can know God through the person, the work, and the life of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. He was it was the whole point is you're no it's no longer a secret, it's no longer a mystery who God is. I've shown myself in the fullest, the plainest way that I can, right? Not like some vision in the sky or like, you know, writing with words on the cloud. I, I came as a real person and I spoke to you and I said things and taught things plainly to you. And so now, so that's what John is saying. Okay, that, that that's his argument. Right? Don't look out, you know, for like strange things out in the middle of the sky. I met the man. I know the man. I've been with him. I know um, who God is. You know, but I think a lot of times this is the problem is um, we kind of get bored with the same old, same old. Right? We, we get bored with the gospel. We get bored with the stories of Jesus Christ because we say, oh, I've heard that so many times or I've heard that preached to me so many times. And we kind of get more interested and intrigued by new inciting like things. Right? New interpretations of the Bible, new theories about who Jesus is, right? And we get excited about that. We, we, we want those things to be true. Um, so, if, you know, if you guys know Penn and Teller, he's like a magician. And so he one time talked about why people get fooled by magic, even though they know it's not real. Right? And he says, it's not because people are stupid. It's because magic is stupid. <laughs> Right? But we want to see something like cool and exciting and like something that makes us say, wow. Right? So we kind of tend to disbelieve right? or to, to believe in something even though we know that it's probably not true just because it makes it more fun. Right? It, may, it makes it more exciting. That's why we love watching movies. Well, that could never happen. Right? That, that's impossible, but we like to see those things. It's fun. It's entertaining. Right? And sometimes we see the gospel... And we see the, the, the life of Jesus Christ, 
I'm like, oh, that's not that fun. That's not that exciting. He's not like shooting laser beams out of his eye. He's not really doing any amazing things. He just dies on the cross. But this is why we lose faith. Because we want to be wowed by something. And we, we want to always try to look for something that's more new and exciting, right? But not, not, not the thing that's really tried and true, right? Um, but why do we lose faith? Why, do we have, why don't we have assurance of salvation? I mean, we'll get into it more deeply as the, as the series goes on, as we get more into the, the, the letter of John. But I think it's this. It's because we lose sight of Jesus. We stop looking at him. And we start looking at ourselves, right? Remember the conversation between Jimmy and Bill? If you think about the conversation, there is no mention of Christ after that first part when Jimmy says, I believe in Christ. Right? When they're talking about being Christian, they don't talk about Christ. Right? And so Christ becomes like an afterthought. And it's always about what am I doing? How do I believe? How much do I know? And we stop looking at the old things, or as Paul, as, as John says, that the things that were from the beginning, we start looking and searching for vague, hidden mysteries, some new, exciting epiphany to secure our salvation, to know that we have salvation. Oh, I wish I had like a vision like of heaven, or I, should, I wish I could like perform a miracle. But you can perform miracles, you can cast out demons, but Jesus himself said, right, that doesn't mean that you'll go to heaven. That doesn't mean that I know you. Right? What makes you Christian is that you know Christ and Christ knows you. Right? But we always are kind of intrigued and enticed to search for something else other than Christ to make me Christian. Right? But John is saying, okay, let's get back on track. Let's stop with the confusion and think about what is from the beginning. So if you really want to have assurance of salvation, focus and meditate on Christ. Like read the gospel, read Matthew, Luke, John. Think about the life of Christ. Think about the humility of Christ, how he acts in certain situations, the the things that he said and taught. And if you focus on those things, you will have assurance of salvation. You will know who God really is. And you won't have to search for like, you know, new, um, you know, emotional experiences, because your salvation, your assurance comes from Christ, not from anything else. So um, I know there's sometimes a lot of confusion about things, a lot of confusion about what we believe. And if you look at that survey that we just talked about, there seems to be widespread confusion everywhere. But I think the key. Um, you know, to truly know in Christ and to truly not have confusion about what you believe is to focus on the work and the life and the words of Christ Jesus. You know, spend that time because um, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, you know, if he was here today, living here today on earth, he would be doing the same things that he did 2,000 years ago, hanging out with the same kind of people, saying the same kind of things. He wouldn't have changed because it's 2020 and I, you can't say those things, Jesus, right? So let's you know, try to do that in your life and you will find more security, you'll find more peace, you'll find more assurance and faith about what you believe 
when you spend time looking at, meditating on Christ. So let's pray. Um, dear Lord, um, I just pray that you would help us because, Lord, many times we get bored with what is true. We get bored with what is real. And we start to fantasize about new different things and new different possibilities. But I pray that we would find our strength, our peace, our joy in you. As we, th we think about you, meditate upon you, that we, you will become closer to us. And it is sad that we call you Father, and yet so many of us have no idea who you are. So I pray that we would know you, Father. I pray that we would know you and have fellowship with you in the same way that John had. That we can have that kind of uh, intimate relationship with you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.